I want to know. What I want to know is. I want to know. I want to know. Well, I always wonder if. Why does science prove to so many people that there is no God? It doesn't matter. It's a question that can't be. Just a question. Does evolution disprove God? Do I have to choose between science and religion? And you need to be able to ask the question. I want to know why we can't see God. Is evolution our enemy? My brother's been doing so much reading. And he questions if there are so many religions and so many gods, which one should you pray to? Is it wrong to believe in microevolution? I want to know how the metaphysical God interacts with the physical reality. I want to know that. I would stand and speak if I had any answers whatsoever. <laughs> good questions, no doubt about it. Are there good answers? I think there are. Before I say anything else, I think it's fascinating that what I'm about to say, this sermon, I think 40 years ago I would have been fired for. Seriously. I think I would have lost my job. In fact, it may be that nine years ago, it may be that nine years ago I would have been fired. And, that's, and I would have been here. But the reason it would have happened here is because you didn't know me then. And I'd like to think that now you know me. And so if I say something that you think to yourself, we could fire him for that one, that you'll hesitate before you do. Because you will know me. And because you'll think to yourselves, well, maybe there's something here to consider. And I have it written on my notes right here. Listen twice. And so I'm hoping that people will listen to this today, and then if they have questions, which I think some of you will, that you will say to yourselves, I need to listen to this again. And so it will be on the podcast, and the second time that you hear it, I hope that you listen very carefully. I hope you listen carefully now, too, but I hope that the second time you listen carefully. I have been very intentional uh, this morning in the way that I phrased this question. Science and faith, must they deny one another? And I think most of us would probably, just right off the bat, probably say no. They don't have to deny one another. But there are cases in which it seems like it's headed in that direction. I'm not deciding this morning whether science is true or faith is true. That's not the question. For me, science actually has an amazing, astounding amount of truth in it. I used to be, believe it or not, a mathematician and a science-oriented person. When I was in high school, I was awarded, when I graduated from high school, the prize in our graduating class for being the outstanding math and science student in my graduating class. And I went to university in the beginning for the first two years on a math scholarship and studied mathematics for the first two years that I was in university. And so I have immense respect for scientists and the way that they do work in analyzing our natural world whether in a field as broad as cosmology or as minute as quantum physics or microbiology. One of the things I love about science is just how rational 
and truth-seeking it is. Great scientists, great scientists are great truth-seekers. Some scientists are not great scientists, and they're not truth-seekers. Perhaps they want fame or fortune or power more than truth, in which case they're not great scientists, because being a great scientist takes more than just being able to produce results and reach conclusions. Being a great scientist means an unending pursuit of authentic truth. Wherever that goes, establishing what is true as accurately as possible through scientific investigation. I would say the same about great theology. Great theology pursues truth no matter where it goes because it's true. And we saw that in you know, a couple of sermons ago, just in terms of the fact that there is something real, there is reality, and there's only one reality. There's not 15, there's not a 1,000. And if there's only one reality, then theology, if it's going to speak about that one reality, needs to do so wherever truth takes it. And I've got no problems with that among scientists. I've got no problems with that among theologians. It just makes sense to me. In fact, when pursued in line with what I believe are unbiased presuppositions, I actually think that science, and of course certainly theology, are going to lead us toward belief in God, because I believe that God is true. And the arguments about the origins of the universe, and what looked to be the rational design of the universe, what looks to be the rational design of the universe, that we talked about last week, I think take us there. And all of that makes total sense to me, and therefore I think that when science reaches solid, indisputable conclusions that all of us would say are true, that they're true. And that's just not a problem. How can it be a problem if we're assessing reality? And so that leads me to say this at the beginning. If science could prove and I mean really prove something about our world, if something is provable as a fact so that anyone really really understanding the issues and the data and looking at these with unbiased eyes is going to reach the same conclusion, then this conclusion has to be in line with God if he exists. If scientists reach a truth, if something is really true, it is going to have to fit with God if he also is true. You can't have truth reached by science, something that's really true, and then a truth about God be reached, which is in contradiction with that truth about science. One of them is not true. If they appear to be in contradiction, that is. They're both statements about the way that the one reality really is, and that's true. And so I don't think we have to have a contradiction there. In fact, we can't have a contradiction there. As I said, either one is right or one is wrong. Both can't be, if they're contradictory, true. And both can't be false if they're contradictory. And so this leads me to say something else. As Christians, 
we should not then fear science. We should only fear inaccurate or incomplete science. And further, the scientists should not fear theology. They should only fear inaccurate or incomplete theology. And unfortunately for us, both are rampant. There is a lot of bad science out there. There's also a lot of bad theology. What I think is happening, however, in our day is that there is progress being made in both areas. Certainly there is in the area of science. We know that. But I think there also is in the area of theology. And I think there are things that we understand better today in the areas of theology than we ever have before. And in some cases, I think it's science that actually drives us to understand even the Bible better. Which might surprise you, but I think it's true. I think we're pushed. As people continue down the path of searching for truth, if science discovers something that's actually true, and it does look like it's in contradiction with something that we believe, if what the scientists believe is actually true, then we have to do something with what we think is true in theology. You could say, well, no, science needs to adjust to us. But that's not what I said. What I said is, we found something in science that's true. If that's the case, theology is going to have to adjust to that truth, if in fact something is true. Now, I do think we've made some progress. And so, one example of better science. We talked about this last week. It's what we talked about in terms of the Big Bang. Whether the Big Bang happened 13.7 billion years ago, or 40 billion years ago, or 50,000 years ago, is to my mind not so relevant. It is relevant, but it's not the most important thing. What's most important is that science is increasingly less in conflict with the idea of a singular origin for the universe. Scientists are looking and saying, you know what, it looks as though there's a single point of origin. And as they move in that direction, I think we would all say, yeah, duh, that's where we've always been. And so if good science is going to take us down that path and is not in conflict, conflict then with sound theological ideas presented from the Bible, then I think we should all just be pleased. And like the young man in the film said last week, let there be light looks really good as a depiction of what God may have done in the beginning with the Big Bang. He could have just as well said, let things move at the speed of light. Let there be heat and let there be explosiveness, and let there be power. And that sounds a lot like science, but it also sounds an awful like, a lot like theology, and it sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 1 to me. Well, what about theology? I think there may be some things that we understand better about theology and creation and origins than we used to as well. Like, for example, if we insist on the creation of the earth in six 24-hour days so that God said, let there be light, and then immediately after that there were 86,400 seconds, and then after 86,400 seconds he said, let the waters above be gathered from the waters below, and then there was another 86,400 seconds that went by, and then he said, let the waters be gathered together and form dry land. And another 86,400 seconds went by. And if you hadn't figured out 
yet there are 86,400 seconds in a day in a 24-hour period, then I would say that we have neither sound science nor sound theology. I would say that we're actually misinterpreting at that point the biblical text. I don't think that Genesis 1 and 2 are meant to be scientific descriptions of creation. They're meant to be theological descriptions of creation. They are true theology, but they are also poetic. And they're dramatic. And they're filled with imagery and metaphor and artistry and beauty and truth. Nowhere does Genesis 1 or 2 talk about atoms or molecules or DNA or cell division or amino acids or oxygen or the speed of light. That's not in there. And yet there isn't a person in the room who would deny the importance of those things to what creation is. We would all say that science has firmly established the importance of those things in terms of life and creation and reality, and God talks about none of it. He describes our world in radically different terms. He talks about existence coming to be through divine creation even though I think these things that I've just mentioned are part of that. They make, in fact, total sense to me as long as we don't read Genesis 1 and 2 as constituting some kind of literal, chronological, scientifically specific description of how God created everything. Scientists and theologians have been pointing out for a long time that when you read the first chapter of Genesis, light comes three days before the sun, the moon, and the stars. And it says that light was created, and it was a day. And then someone will say, well, if days, 24-hour days, are determined by the revolutions of the earth on its axis, how is it that the sun and the moon and the stars don't come until day four, when there's light created in day one? Well, good question. That's a reasonable one, one that we can't just ignore. So theologians for a while now have been saying that Genesis 1 and 2 is something more than just scientific description and literal description of what the world is all about, and I think they are right. I think they got that one right. And so a conclusion at this point would be something like this. The best science will lead in the direction of God, toward belief in God, not away from God being compatible with God's existence. The best science will do that. And the best theology will lead in the direction of acceptance of scientific truth. So the belief in God will be compatible with science. And notice, I didn't say that theology will support every scientific theory. I said theology will lead in the direction of scientific truth. So the belief in God will be compatible with truths not theories established by science. And again, it seems to me like it can't be any other way. Like this just seems to me like it has to be the case. If science absolutely proves something, it has to be in line with how God has created things. It seems to me there is no other alternative. Now, I want you to notice something else, something 
I didn't say. I did not say that science will lead in the direction of supporting the literal reading of biblical verses that were not intended to be taken literally. And I think that's important. In fact, I would say this. If we take literally all the words in Genesis 1 and 2, and we immediately, then we're going to immediately run into problems and questions that we cannot answer. Because we will be interpreting Scripture mechanically and scientifically instead of theologically as it was meant to be. If you read a poem as literal history, the charge of the light brigade, you're going to be in trouble because it didn't happen exactly that way historically. And I would say that if you read Genesis 1 and 2 and you try and get out of it amino acids, you're going to be in trouble because amino acids aren't in there and it wasn't meant to be read that way. And so I would say that it isn't the scientists who've messed up Genesis 1 and 2 for us. It's the theologians who've messed up Genesis 1 and 2, trying to make the Bible be something that it's not. It's not a scientific textbook or a manual. Instead, it's a treatise about God. That means it's going to discuss what God is about, not what science is about. And it's going to do so in language that befits God, not science which means it's going to be filled with mystery and metaphor and imagery and beauty and love and value judgments about what is good and what is very good. That's just the way it's written. That's what it will be. And so now, in light of that, let me get on to one issue for basically the remainder of my time that seems to serve as the crux of the matter for a lot of Christians. And I have to tell you, I thought about not doing this. I thought about avoiding this because it would be easy to do so. But then the faces of those young people keep coming back to me. And they're asking real questions and they need real answers and they need me not to avoid their questions and I need to come up with some good answers. And I want to say it's good and well for me even to talk about Genesis 1 and 2 being theological and not scientific and for me to say that there can't necessarily be a conflict between real science and truth. But that's not really what people want to hear. What people really want to know is, after we've discussed the Big Bang, that is, people want to know, was Darwin right? That's the real issue. Did God create Adam and Eve in an instant, or did he create them through an evolutionary process from lower forms of life? Both the question itself and you, those whom I love, deserve deserve an answer for me to not, and for me to not just evade the question. And so I'm not going to evade it. Here's my answer. If it is ultimately proven by science that human beings arose from lower life forms rather than being created as two specific people, Adam and Eve, from whom all human beings then came, that will not bother my faith one bit. That's the answer. It won't bother me. 
It's not going to bug me at all. Now, for the record, I'm not convinced yet. And I told Robin this morning, I told her what I was going to preach about, and she was kind of like, really? And I told her I'm not convinced yet about this. But I said, I may become convinced. For the record, I'm not yet convinced that the evidence points incontrovertibly to the absolute proof of the evolutionary origin of human beings. I don't think we're there yet. But if we get there, it's not going to bother my faith. And here's the reason why. There are so many compelling reasons to believe in God that the question of how he created human beings, which I don't think Genesis 1 and 2 is written to answer in a literal way, is not for me a deciding factor in whether or not God exists or whether or not he's involved in our lives or whether or not he's taken our world in a certain direction or whether or not he sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins or whether or not Jesus rose from the dead or whether or not God loves me. The issue of how he created it is not to me the issue. These things on the screen right now are all true of God and his interaction with us. God is our creator. He stands above the universe. He's responsible for human beings, for creating us in his image, for breathing into us the breath of life, for creating us male and female, for creating a way for us to propagate and fill the earth, having dominion over it. God is responsible for all of that. But not one of those is dependent upon Genesis 1 and 2 being literally true. How he brought us about then is not much of a concern for me. I almost don't care. The only place, it seems to me, where there's actually any possible conflict at all between the Genesis stories and science is in the account at Genesis 2. Genesis 1 is not like this. You read through Genesis 1, there are very few specific statements made about human beings and their creation. Genesis 2 is different. It calls people Adam and Eve. That's fairly specific. It says there are two people. But I'm not compelled. I don't don't think there are compelling reasons either for why Genesis 2 has to be taken literally, nor do I think that science will ever be able to prove that God didn't create a man named Adam and Eve. I've not yet seen compelling reasons for why God could not have used evolution to create create Adam and Eve. In the end, we don't have to take Genesis 2 literally to be in line with the belief in God with his creation of human life, and therefore, it simply doesn't matter to me how God created humankind. And in the end, we don't have to disbelieve in the creation of of a man named Adam and a woman named Eve in order for evolutionary theory about the origin of human life to still be true. It'd be easy for God to have created a process whereby people did develop evolutionary in evolutionary ways and reaching the conclusion of that or the, the epitome of that evolution being Adam and Eve. That makes some sense to me too. And if we look at this text in that way, is it not the case that for years all of us have taken our tongues, 
firmly press them against the inside of our cheeks and ask where all those other people came from in Genesis 1 through 11? The spouses of the descendants of Adam and Eve? Where did Seth's wife come from? Where did all those other people in all those nations, when they built the tower and God was scared to death that they're all going to come together, where did they all come from? I'm not ready to theorize incest. Incest doesn't seem to me to fit very well with the picture of God and family relationships. So it seems to me they couldn't have all come from the lineage of Adam and Eve. At the very least, there had to be others created besides those two, which are not mentioned. And the fact is, Genesis 1 and 2 says nothing about all of that. But where did they come from? And do we not have the right to speculate and theorize and study to find an answer, since on this matter God clearly chose to be silent or at the very most vague? Maybe he did do it at the end of a long evolutionary process. And then when all was in order and the brain of humankind was ready, he breathed into the epitome of the evolutionary process the breath of life and breathed into them his image and gave them souls and then called two of them Adam and Eve. I don't know. I don't know because the Bible doesn't tell me. Those chapters speak in image, as I said, in metaphor. It's story. It's almost poetic. And in the end, I don't know the answer. There's lots of things I do know the answer to. I do know God is responsible for all of this. I do know that I am made in his image. I believe absolutely the truths of Jesus Christ, that he rose from the dead, that he saved me. I just don't know exactly how God created human beings. And at the end, I'm not sure the fact that I don't know that is all that big a deal. Ultimately, my faith rests in God, not in the manner in which he created humankind, and I don't really care what science proves or doesn't prove about our origin as a species because God never tells me exactly, in literal terms, how he created human beings and how long he took to do so. I just can't see that in Genesis 1 and 2. And because I don't know that, science doesn't scare me. If he created Adam and Eve as two people and did not involve them, then praise the Lord. If he didn't create them suddenly and used an evolutionary process to do so, then praise the Lord. And in whatever way he brought about all those other people who are mentioned besides Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 through 11, however he brought them into existence, praise the Lord. I don't know how he did it. I'm just absolutely confident he did. 
Personally, I think God's existence fits really well with the scientific ideas about the origins of our universe from the Big Bang. And personally, I think the vast difference between human beings and the next highest life form shows me that standing behind the creation of human beings is an all-loving, gracious, wise creator who's responsible for humanity and who sets us apart from all other life forms, desiring a relationship with us of intimacy and involvement and love, no matter how he decided to bring us into creation or into existence. I don't care very much where we've been and how we got here by God's power and grace. I care very much where we are now and where he's taken us. When in the end I'm judged, it will not be based on how good of a scientist or theologian I was able to sort out the deep mysteries of God and creation. In the end, I will simply be judged on what I've done with the question of Jesus Christ and my acceptance or not of his loving grace and sacrifice. There will be no physics exams. There will be no biology exams. There will be no chemistry exams. There will be just questions about whether or not I trusted in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the blessing that we have of of being created in you no matter how you did it. I stand today before you, Lord, as one who believes that I'm absolutely made in your image. I believe that you breathed into me the breath of life. I believe that you are responsible for all the things that exist in our universe. I don't know how you created human beings, any more than I know how you created all the universe through a big bang or however you did it. But I'm totally trusting, Lord, in you. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.